everyone and welcome to another Scots Way podcast and I'm joined today by musician and composer Martin Green to talk about the audio drama Kelly and the album Split the Air, the latter being performed at Celtic Connections on the 3rd of February. But first, hello Martin. Hello, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Now there's so much to discuss, so I'm going to say to you, I'm going to put the pressure on you and say where would you like to start in describing these projects and how they came about? Okay, so I'll start with, uh, I I am originally from England, but I moved to Midlothian and I live very close to the Scottish Mining Museum. And one day, driving through Newton Grange, which is where it is, I encountered a thing called Brass in the Park, which sadly doesn't happen anymore, but it's it was a mass gathering of brass bands uh, on the green and also outside the Mining Museum. And I love any... Well, I love any music, really, but I love any public music. I think it's a, it's a truly wonderful thing. So I, I knew nothing really about brass bands, but I stopped and I hung around and I watched several generations of people playing music together in a very meaningful way. And the fact that they were right by the mining museum, which is, you know, that that is a, a pithead, that I'd never seen this kind of connection of of music and vocation quite so extremely. I, you know, I come from traditional music, and obviously that is after work music of working people in a similar way, but it's not quite so black and white. And there's a lot more to brass bands than than coal, and that's important to say. However, that I just thought, all oh, right, this is fascinating. I've moved to this place. I moved here to play folk music, but there's this whole other thing here of of a different sort of music and a lifestyle. And actually something fundamentally geological about where I've moved to, but it's all sort of hidden now because obviously there's no mind by the time I arrived. So um, this was how I fell in love with with brass bands and became interested in uh, sort of how this bit of Scotland where I now live, it kind of is like it is now or some aspects of of that, you know, Um so Radio 4 very kindly commissioned a series, a, a documentary series about brass bands. So I did all these interviews. And as I started doing that, I fell in love with uh, some of those specific people that I interviewed, but also uh, a kind of mindset about brass banding, which is obsessive and competitive, but warm and welcoming and inclusive. And it's like, well, there's a paradox there. And so all of that seemed quite, like a rich seam and I'm also interested in in trade unions and industrial action and that is an ever pertinent thing to think about so yeah that was that was how I ended up uh falling in love with the the huge kind of spider's web of it all and then these specific bits the audio drama came out of uh, a love of making stories and sound really and and this seemed like uh, a rich topic to do it on uh and on the album i suppose that feels like that's my wheelhouse that's that's what i've been doing for most of my life is, is making records that was a long answer i knew it would be which is why i wanted to <laughs> answer it in that way because as i say and before we get into the specifics it's so interesting to me because i was thinking that so many forms of music are perhaps better now, known now than they perhaps ever were. I'm, think, I'm thinking of Scottish jazz at the moment, which is high profile. Folk music seems to be, you know, um, across the generations as it maybe wasn't uh, for some time. 
um, choral music even uh, gets sports on television requires are put together and all these things but brass band music absolutely isn't in fact i had to think the last time i'd even thought about brass band music and it was probably the film brassed off it was probably as far back as that and i was wondering whether that's partly to do with the communities which are often the industry of those communities is no longer um functioning as it was and therefore not only is perhaps the community forgotten but the music that went on there forgotten is that something to do yeah with and i i think so one thing I would say that's very positive about brass banding is that the scene is very healthy. There are lots of brass bands and they're very active and they work very hard to kind of keep themselves active, but they exist primarily in a competition circuit. Yeah. And so unless you're in, interested in that, you you don't see them. I think um, Whitburn Band, who I've been working with the most, they do, you know, they still do an Armistice March, for example, which they did the other day. Uh, they are still visible in the community. Uh, I was talking to the band leader. He had various kind of switching on of of town lights that they're running around. So, so, but I don't think it's like it was. I don't think uh, that there are many bandstands, for example. You yeah. know, people don't go on a Sunday afternoon and listen to the band. Um, so, I do think that's changed. One of the interviews that I did uh, with an ex miner said something interesting, which was that he felt communities had stopped talking about, uh, well, about the strike, but also about the collapse of industry. And perhaps there was a certain amount of collective trauma that made people just want to move on, which I thought was an interesting thing yeah. to consider. Um, um, so I'm not quite sure. But also, of course, fashions change and tastes change. And the sound of the brass band is in intrinsically nostalgic and so i i think it having tried so so kelly is set in the present so when we were making the score try to make something which seems contemporary that we can believe it is a 17 year old right now but with the sound because the brass band is going to take you straight to yorkshire in the 1950s there's almost nothing you can you can do about that um and so trying to to work out um how to make that that keep that thing that is so heartwarming but also uh make that sound a little bit more contemporary uh has been an interesting challenge yeah i again just a, a slight aside i think about how piping live is a big thing now on television the piping finals are are on television there's another music that you could see as nostalgic and i thought well why isn't that happened with brass music you would think there would be something similar along those lines but maybe yes, it's not a global, yeah. the brass band, it's a global thing. There are people come from Canada and from uh, New Zealand and places to maybe brass band is very much UK and maybe northern UK. I think, I mean, I think that is a good point. There, there are European brass band championships, but they are less, uh, they seem they seem to be less the focus for these championship bands than, than what they call the nationals, which is in London. Um, and so that I think you're absolutely right. I think it is it's a smaller thing there, but I also think folk music has had these interesting revivals, partly because it 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 can tour, you know, mm -hmm. so you can have at various points in in time 
Bob Dylan, Martin Carthy, whoever it is that gets associated with these ideas of revival. But they can kind of run around the world doing their thing. Brass bands are not professional institutions, so they can't, they can't, they're all going to work nine to five. And then, so, so, and there's, you know, there's 30 people traveling. So I think there's something in the nimbleness of, of folk music, maybe that allows it, uh, to, to spread its own word a bit more. Piping, I think, is a, a really equivalent scene in many ways. There's a lot of focus on on competition and excellence, and both of those things breed very high standards, which is exciting, but also a sporting mentality which works really well for some people and some people find it very difficult. I think it partly depends if, if you win. I think for kids, it's like uh, the, the folk musicians I know that did competition as a child and and didn't win found it all a bit harrowing i think yeah because i guess it's that idea of winning and not just taking part and particularly maybe in the arts and music that's very rarely thought of as that way yeah absolutely yeah 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 Um, so let's talk about kelly i was listening to it again at least the first episode again before we started to talk and it's really interesting because well, first of all, you think about, you, you know, you talk about preconceptions. When I first heard it, I thought, what is a Scottish woman doing in Yorkshire? Because I presumed that's where the background would be for the band. And I hadn't read that it was Whitburn and uh, it's Ventral Belt. And then when I, I realised when you heard the other characters, oh, no, that's not how the way it works. Um, the music itself is almost used to reflect Kelly's state of mind. Is that right? You know, it gets yeah. sort of more discordant and... Uh, that if that's how it comes across, I'm I'm really delighted to hear that. Yes, I th- I think uh, audio drama is a really uh, flawed medium in many ways. I think there are things that you have to do about uh, there are so much expositional script because you have to say I am here uh, uh, with this person holding this, you know, because you can't see anything. Um, but what I think it does really well is get inside people's heads especially if if you're lucky enough that people are listening on headphones then you have this it's it's the most direct form of art into the brain that i can imagine so there i feel like uh i think hitchcock would have made the most amazing audio drama like this the the unease i think is is one of the things that audio plays really well um so yeah the underscore i hope um or almost everything is sort of Kelly's point of view. And yeah. um, I had this fantasy that we would record it all with Kelly wearing this, like wearing binaural microphones and, and, and she would literally move through the through the whole of the thing. That that turned out to be impractical for, for many reasons, but but that's the idea really, if we're in Kelly's head, you know. And I think you're right about that kind of intimacy because immediately you start to care about Kelly and worry for her because I think because you're getting it straight to you you know it's straight in your ears there's nothing to distract you from it not the way we get um explanations of slightly of how she looks and things like that and how she but you don't you don't see it so you're not taken out of it you don't make preconceptions in that sense and and yet do so how did the character come about because it's a great character um thank you uh for me, she's an amalgam of... Uh, so one of the things is I've got teenage kids going to school in a... Uh, my kids go to school in Dalkeith. So they go to school in an ex-mining 
area and I and I so I spend a lot of my time thinking what's it like being a teenager right now so that's something that I'm interested in um another is that uh there's been so much brilliant kind of period work set in the strike like set in the 80s in the strike that and I had originally thought that's what we were going to make and I the first draft of it was was set in the 80s and and then I felt like actually there's some of this has been said before and some of it's been said better than this before anyway so what's the point and but what does it mean now seemed like something that I was seeing less of so that's kind of why Kelly is is the age she is I have a love of uh fiery tongued expletives uh so I I am quite interested in um it in people because Kelly swears a lot but I but it's not and I think and this is a conversation I've had with producers and presenters and stuff it's like because the swearing is a barrier for for some people yeah and and the argument gets given a, quite a lot but it represents what I'm hearing around me and that's definitely true like I live in a life surrounded by swearing but actually what I was more interested in is I live in a life where I'm surrounded by people that are very eloquent uh but but don't talk like Radio 4 Mm -hmm. and and i'm really interested in that partly maybe because i've come here from somewhere else and uh having lived in cambridge for a long time where people talk in a very different way and there are eloquent people everywhere but that it's like it's a bit like falling in love with scottish folk music it's like i love the way that the like you know i've learned so many words since i moved to scotland there just are more words here and so that's exciting so i think other than being in Scotland and wanting to work in Scotland and work with kind of Scotland-based people, I was just really, I I I love the the music of of what I what I hear around me, and a childish love of people saying swear words. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually, it's so good that it is set when it's set today because one, it's a reminder that the music's still going on, and also there's a bit where she says, "Oh, old such and such." you know, who would have been about 15 when mining stopped. And you think to someone who's young, that seems like ancient history. But to me, you know, who's in his yeah. 50s, that's not that old long ago. And these things are very much still in your mind. Um, that that a uh, swathes of industry were just kind of halted in their, in their tracks. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think it does seem like a long time ago to a lot. I mean, it, it's so... You know, 2024 will be 40 years since 1984 and the beginning of the minor strike, mm. um, which it, which is a very different length of time if you're 17 or 30 <laughs> or 80. You know, um, and I, and I'm somewhere in the in the middle. I I remember the strike, um, and I knew what side my household was on, but I didn't understand the intricacies of it. So one of the other things which has been interesting is talking to people about. The kind of chess game of that, that doesn't really come up in, in Kelly, but it's just been interesting to kind of learn about what what the objectives of various sides might have been. And, and you know, the whole thing is, is much more tactical, of course, than, than it comes across when all I remember really is those kind of huge bits of pickets and police on BBC News as a kid, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, you're absolutely right, that changed because then I was comparing it to myself and thinking when I was 15, 40 years before was the end of the Second World War. And that definitely seemed like history. So, yeah. you know, it, it does really kind of uh, uh, change your perceptions in, in that way. And how did you find your telly? You've got Anna Russell Martin in the role. Was that easy uh, to find? Or? It was easy to find because I, I wrote it for Anna. Ah, so yeah. um, Anna had done a, a piece called The Portal, which we did in, in the heavy lockdown. And... Um, so I'd never met her, but we'd done all this work, and I'd already started on this, on the uh, on what turned into Kelly, and increasingly, this young woman became the central character. That was not how it started off. It was a much more kind of ensemble piece, um, of of which Kelly was a, was a person, but increasingly, um. I suppose partly because it's it's about someone who's young and virtuosic. Mm -hmm. And so it just felt like, okay, it's kind of a a concerto for an actor now. Like Kelly's in every scene. She doesn't, I mean, she did more than every scene because she's, a lot of the time she's narrating her own scene as you, as you hear it. So um, I felt like they were equivalent at the same time with the music. The, the whole part was written for a, a tenor horn player called Shona White, who's been my favourite tenor horn player for a long time, is amazing musician. Um, but I knew both those voices before I wrote either the music or or the script, um, which is which would always be my preference if you if you're lucky enough to be in that situation. Um, and uh, yeah, and it makes it easy to write as well. I think if you can hear a voice uh -huh. while you're doing it. Uh, that, that's interesting. And we should say, without giving away any spoilers, but Kelly's story is that she's a young brass band prodigy, younger than most who would be in that position. Uh, and uh, this causes, it's almost, it's an escape for her, but there's pressures as well that come along with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and because she's a soloist, to a certain extent, the band wins or loses on her. And mm -hmm. she's got to score those goals. And um, and this is both exciting for her and, as you say, an enormous pressure. Um, and everything else is, is quite tricky for Kelly. Um, and, and she falls out with people. But I love Kelly deeply. And, yeah. and I, I think... Uh, We've all had conversations with people where our tongues move faster than our brains, you know. And I think especially when you're younger and you haven't quite learned how to... And Kelly's brain is very fast and her tongue is very fast, so quite often it's gone far too far before she she pulls herself back into check, which is just fun to write, really, and and uh, and, and Anna's so good at, at doing it. So you have this uh, audio drama and you mentioned the album split there. Was there always going to be this kind of split? Were you always going to do an album as well? I Yes, I, th I think uh, that feels... In some ways, that feels like the core bit, right. or at least the bit that, that I feel I know how to do. The The album is... Um, so we the brass band that got put together for the album, we were a kind of bespoke band. It wasn't Whitburn. Um, oh. They were so good, and it was such a joy 
to record with them. Um, and the process there was to kind of get the get the music recorded in its naked form. And then I spent quite a while playing around with electronics and um, uh, and and doing bits of production to try and find this thing that that I was chasing of of the the bit of the brass band that hits you in the chest and and at the same time uh something a bit more contemporary that that um yeah that that fitted with i suppose the aesthetic of other things that i make and is there spoken word on the album as well no the album's just music and it's um it's uh i think it's quite a mellow album on the whole it's not kind of it's much more kind of massive reverbs and uh tingly delays um, so it's uh, it's got kind of essence of the brass band there but you're doing something new with it yeah the brass yeah the brass band is absolutely there all the way through it and then um there are bits of treatment that that pull it um in, into a slightly more 20, 21st century palette, I suppose. Uh, and w when you were getting the stories behind the bands, behind the music together, did you do, um, I mean, you, you mentioned the documentary, was that a set of um, interviews with people who were involved? Yes, absolutely. So it was, uh, so three parts, uh, so three half hour programs on, on the modern brass band scene, the, the, uh, they, Radio 4 were reasonably broad in what they wanted, but what they kept saying was uh, Radio 4 is more about people than it is about music. Right. So it, um, so the music, you know, so there, there was music in there, but it, it, there, you never hear a whole piece of music. Uh, so I went to the, to the national finals and interviews with people there. Broadly speaking, the, the things that I found most exciting were the safe spaces that the any it, it could be anything, it could be football, it could be anything, but the safe spaces that youth organizations provide for people mm -hmm. is really vital. And, and so the stories that came out about kind of well-being seemed the most universal, which I think is um useful, especially in kind of broadcast radio, because you people don't tune in in quite the same way. You know, they, they get in their car and it's on or whatever. So so try to find these universal things. So so this idea that creativity is is good for well-being, you know, going and doing stuff, being with other humans is good, but also uh physically having a safe space to go to got got brought up in 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 more than one interview. And it's like, okay, this is a really vital thing. The brass bands are in some areas the only place where you can get an instrument without paying for a child to play. Yeah. There might be the only free music tuition in some areas. And so like, this is a really remarkable self-organizing system that should be celebrated for an, a load of reasons that are actually nothing to do with the noise they produce, you know? It, and um, and like I say, the same would be true of youth drop-ins and, and boxing. Or, but yeah. but the one that I was looking at, those were the stories that affected me the most. And and also stories of people that found other bits of life really difficult 
but had this meticulous control of their instruments. And that's because, this is weirdly because of competition, I think. There's so much focus on practice, they become very athletic. And if you, that becomes really connected to your mental health because you become very in control of this tiny bit of the universe. And if the rest of your existence is quite overwhelming, then you understandably you cling on to that control and and that's really what what kelly is like that's that's the overlap there the the brass band is her safe space but it's also the bit of the universe where she excels where she you know her what she might do with the rest of her life is not really very obvious to kelly but whether or not she might become the best tenor horn player in the world is actually Mm-hmm. an attainable possibility and someone can say it because it's brass banding so it's like you are officially the the best telehorn player in the world it's like there's something quite relaxing and finite about sports you yeah. know um <clears throat> so um yeah so the, those um all those things i found wonderful and i encountered very little bitterness Maybe though I'm not saying that those, maybe those people just don't want to be interviewed, you know. But but I didn't encounter it's shit when you lose yeah. as much as I encountered it's brilliant when you win. Which as somebody that doesn't really engage in sport, I was like, okay, that actually has changed my. I came away with a completely different idea about competition, having gone in thinking mm. art should never be competitive. Yeah. I kind yeah. of came out going, actually, if you're a twelve year old kid. And uh, you want to know next week I could run the hundred meters faster than I could this week. That's really useful, mm-hmm. you know, to keep you doing it. You know, so um, yeah, it's great. And um, yeah, it's also the individual in the team. You know, most teams that are going to sport, they'll maybe have standout individuals, but you can only do it together as a team, and it'll be the same. And you know, there's that support that yeah. you're in it. You're only as good as your weakest link, or whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also it's like anything, if you get far enough into it, it's super nerdy. And I just love that. You know, there are all these weird kind of idiosyncrasies that I've hung over from, you know, some of it's in Italian and some of it's in English and it's not quite like, you know, it's got bits of classical music, it's got bits of military music. It, It is this weird, but fixed shape of nine cornets and one flugelhorn. Well, that's weird. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah it's brilliant it's a great thing so as a musician you found some really interesting kind of ways that people had worked in terms of brass music yeah absolutely yeah uh the repertoire is is sort of split into two parts they, they commission a lot of music brass bands which is great because they keep needing new test pieces right um and so th- they are this very active commissioner of of very specific sort of music because a test piece needs to show various things and and they're so they're sort of all quite similar uh but they're brilliant and and there are some fantastic composers doing it um so there's part of the repertoire is test pieces and part of the repertoire is kind of light music so uh a lot of covers um obviously the christmas and and the hymns in some ways my hymns are, the f- are my favorite because because it's a homogenous ensemble, they're all making the same noise. Mm-hmm. And the those hymn settings are so 
beautifully like these rock solid array you know so i live in a kind of like reasonably newly built house which is going to fall over well before i'm dead those hymns feel like those buildings that you're in that it's like yeah this this is this was medieval where they built it and will still be there a hundred fifty thousand years uh you know so i i love hearing them do that um yeah that's interesting because i think i mean uh, I've not been in a Church of Scotland church since I was about 15 or something like that, but there is still something reassuring about hearing certain hymns of my youth done in that, you know, in those spaces and in certain ways where you go, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know whether that's a nostalgia or a kind of safety or what, what it is, but I can understand that. I, leaping to the, to the defence of your, your inner psyche, I think it could also be that they're beautiful. I don't think it is necessarily... Um, yeah, no, no, absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, uh, and of the things that, that I learned, some of them were about kind of immediately where I live. Be, because I suppose there are more people in the Central Belt uh the the kind of top bands of Scotland, well Whitburn, you know, the mm. Whitburn and the Co-op, but they're they're both uh you know in, in the central belt like there are bands around where I live. Um but meeting but meeting miners from Midlothian was really interesting. Um and kind of realize, you know, the there's if there's seven stages of separation or whatever it is between all humans, there's one and a half tops in brass band world. You know, you start talking to people and they, you know, they were all in a youth band with this person. And uh, so that's lovely when you, you kind of find yourself in the middle of someone else's social spiders web, you know. Um, you find similar in the folk music that there's, there's a similar kind of. A- absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and they, they, I feel that they face similar challenges because I think both brass banders and, and folkies are interested in partly they're interested in doing something that's been going on for a long time for whatever reason. Maybe like you say about hymns, there's something comforting about doing something that's been going on for a long time. However, they both face the problem of relevance. And mm. um, so those things are interesting they also both they both at least in you know in this country come out of uh kind of after work self-made entertainment so that they are working class traditions that come from very specific areas and so they have a very particular demographic that that are drawn to to doing it and i think both scenes are interested in trying to broaden the diversity uh of of the people playing that music and i think it's really challenging in both instances because partly because the context means something different um but also because they're they're both kind of multi-generational a lot of the folk musicians i know play because their parents played yeah. a lot of the brass banders play because of parents i how you broaden out then the diversity of the people playing it, I I think is is a challenge for both scenes that that people are rightly thinking about, but has no particularly obvious answer. Yeah, I think that is really interesting that, you know, it's almost, if not expected, certainly not 
worried about if someone says I'm going to be a musician if parents have been musicians or grandparents have been yeah. in that world whereas for other people it's like you know that's going to be a precarious thing to follow yeah but, yeah and uh, split the air is going to be at Celtic Connections what's yes. that live show going to be like uh so that'll be with Whitburn and uh Celtic Connections feels in many ways like my spiritual home <laughs> so I feel like I found this really exciting, wonderful, shiny jewel, and I'm bringing it home to show everyone. Um, so that it—it's predominantly a music show. It's—it's it's sort of a little bit of what went into the radio show in terms of there's a bit of discussion of the history of brass bands. Uh, there's there's a certain amount of uh, marking forty years since the miners' strike. So. Um, it's intercut with interviews, so we hear from uh, people involved in the strike, and we hear about the band's relationship with the strike, we hear about Whitburn's relationship with mining, and all of this has a kind of live underscore. Um, and then we have a little crossfade into fiction, and by the end of it, Kelly's standing on a stage live talking to us with a brass band behind us. Um, so um, it's it, it's a very exciting thing to be working on. Um, and a, a guy called Tom Morris, who made the show called Warhorse, is directing that. And he has a, obviously has a great relationship with theatre, but he has a really great relationship with music. So it's been really great to kind of go to him and go, I've got all this ideas and bits of music, and can we make a coherent story? And uh, he's been really useful. And and. Uh, Storytelling as a craft is less immediately the same as playing music than I had realized. Right. And so every time I do one of these sorts of things, audio drama or whatever it is, they I learn a little bit more about that. And I am and I love a learning curve in general, but I'm really enjoying that. Um I hadn't realized folk music, you know, people talk about beginning, middle, and end. A lot of folk music is just middle. Like we just start in the middle, like just start dancing and then just stop. And you don't have to contextualize it. I don't need to know why you're playing a reel. You just play it and then you stop, you know. Um, so that's been great. And, and learning a little bit of that craft has, has been really exciting for me. Um, the, we're also developing a, a stage play of Kelly, uh, right. which is very slow process um and that's I, I suppose a similar thing of of learning about this craft of, of storytelling um audio is very forgiving i have learned partly because it's free to edit mm -hmm. so you don't have to get a load of actors in the room and, and it doesn't cost loads of money to go down dead alleys um especially in a pandemic it's, it audio is like i mean it, it we finished it earlier this year, but we started, I suppose I started writing at the beginning of 2021. It's a perfect medium for, you know, if you're lucky enough to own a microphone, a laptop, like, great. Just sit and make up little stories. It's great. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like an amazing night, though, when you put all those aspects to, together. Sorry, I completely forgot the fucking question. Sorry. <laughs> the question, <laughs> well the done. question was about the <laughs> Connections Night, but, you know, it oh, it sounds like theatre as much as it is concert. Yeah, it's theatrical presentation of music, which sounds like a dreadful idea, but that, that's what we're calling it. Um, and so 
yeah, I I talk a bit uh, and get excited about brass bands as they play. And so it's a little bit Peter and the Wolf or it's a little bit like, uh, I don't know if you ever get on YouTube and watch Bernstein talk about music and get all excitable, which I love to do. Uh, so it's a little bit like that. And going, isn't this thing wonderful? Let's fall in love. And then uh, there's a little bit of challenge from Kelly uh, mm. when she comes alive and kind of goes... I don't think this thing is as primary coloured as you think it is. Um, and we did it, we did a kind of work in progress of it as uh, in this incarnation at the Lyceum last year. And um, it's really exciting when it all comes together because there's so many, you know, there'll be 39 of us on stage or something. Wow. So um, it it's hard to have a lot of rehearsal. So it's, by the time you actually get to do it on a stage, uh, if it feels precious, it feels like like I know how lucky I am to get to do it yeah. at all. So it's all you know, it, it's it's yeah, it's like a dream, like a really loud dream. <laughs> uh, and you, you mentioned Celtic Connections feeling like a spiritual home, and you're also a member of the great folk band Low. Who have got two other events at Celtic Connections? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we we are um, we we have been doing a show called Unplugged, and we will do the kind of last of those. It feels lovely. We did the first of them at Celtic Connections twenty twenty. Uh, then there was a big gap in our schedule for for some <laughs> reason, and now we're kind of bookending that, doing it. Um, we're gonna gonna finish off doing that that show, uh, but we'll, we'll do it once more at Celtic. So that'd be great. And then we are helping the SEO, the Scottish Chamber Orchestra, celebrate their birthday um, with a load of other brilliant people that are on that that night as well, um, which will be wonderful and and beautiful. Um, so yeah, it's it's great. Celtic have been really. So the first piece of music that I was ever commissioned to make was from Celtic Connections as part of their New Voices series. And I think it it was a huge leap of forward thinking to start commissioning traditional musicians because that, before then, it wasn't something that occurred to people very much. It, yeah. It's not it's not historically part of what happens in, in folk music. So uh, I, I really, I mean, it, I, I, I'm... You know, I don't need to tell you, you're obviously like very aware of, of what goes on in Scottish culture, but I really think Celtic Connections has changed what Scottish music is internationally, not just in, in Glasgow. Um, so, yeah, it, it's wonderful. And, and it's a bit like a wedding because there are people that I only see, you know, <laughs> when a cousin gets married, you know, but it's <laughs> but it's in the middle of Sucky Street in minus two degrees at the end of January, you know. Uh, and I agree with you about Celtic Connections. I think as it's gone on and progressed, it's absolutely changed the standing of Scottish music, not just folk music, but all sorts of music across the board, definitely. Martin, thank you so much for taking the time to talk thank to you. me. Thank you, thank you. Fascinating. Uh, no, an absolute pleasure. Um and uh, yeah, if you want to come to the show in Glasgow, give me a shout. I certainly will do. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Mm -hmm.